Georgia's Secretary of State is promising an investigation in today's catastrophic primary voting problems, which one charitable headline called a hot flaming mess. <laughs> that was last week, Brian. You don't know the half of it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. But listeners will. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Up in Grand Rapids on... Uh, but where am I? WPRR down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio. Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow. Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, man, uh, we have got a lot to cover on today's uh, broadcast, so please buckle up. You have been warned. If the uh, And if the radio gods are with us, we might have some time at the end for some of your calls today. But uh, frankly, I don't know. We got a lot to get to, including a guest who helped discover a huge problem that I'm guessing you haven't heard about with the vote-counting computers in Georgia's primary elections last week on June 9. And while I'm sure you've heard about all of the massive problems that they had at the polling places in Georgia last week with hours-long lines, predominantly in minority-heavy voting districts, imagine that. That, of course, was thanks to failed new computer touchscreen voting systems and failed new electronic computer poll books. And a lot of uh, voters in the state not receiving paper ballots, absentee ballots on time. Well, you almost you, you probably heard of all of that, but you almost certainly have not heard about the fact that the computer scanners that are used to count those hand-marked absentee paper ballots across the entire state of Georgia also seem to have failed in a major way and may have missed tallying thousands of votes across the state. We don't yet know. We will uh, hopefully learn more by the end of this program. The election integrity advocate who discovered the problem, this new problem, 
now roiling Georgia's elections, uh, will join us in a bit to explain what she discovered, how she discovered it, what the latest is on this matter, if any of it can be corrected in time for not just the certification of the primary election in Georgia, but uh, if any of this can be corrected so it does not happen again for the critical November elections in the crucial battleground state of Georgia, which could go Democratic for the first time in years and is featuring this year not one, but two U.S. hotly contested U.S. Senate races. Uh, seats that are currently held by Republicans. Uh, so we got a lot to get to today, but first, some other important breaking news as well today. U.S. regulators on Monday revoked emergency authorization for malaria drugs promoted widely by non doctor, non epidemiologist President Donald Trump for uh, treating COVID 19 amid growing evidence that they don't work and could cause serious side effects. Quote, in light of ongoing serious cardiac adverse events and other serious side effects, the known and potential benefits of hydroxychloroquine no longer outweigh those risks. That's according to Donald Trump's own FDA um, today on their website. The Food and Drug Administration said the drugs hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine are unlikely to be effective in treating the uh, coronavirus, the decades-old drugs are also prescribed for lupus and rheumatoid or arthritis. Uh, they can cause heart rhythm problems, severely lower blood pressure, and cause muscle or nerve damage. Uh, they make it difficult also for folks to walk down gentle ramps or uh, lift a simple glass of water to one's mouth, Desi Doyen. No, not really. Uh, okay, I added those last two parts about <laughs> hydroxychloroquine. Because Donald Trump can't apparently drink a glass of water without using two hands. Yes, it's very strange. It is very strange. Hi, Des. Uh, the, the move by the FDA means that shipments of the drugs obtained by the federal government will no longer be distributed to state and local health authorities for use against the coronavirus. Dr. Steve Nissen, a Cleveland clinical researcher who has been a... Uh, Frequent FDA advisor agreed with the decision and said that he would not have granted emergency access to that drug in the first place. He says there has never been any high quality evidence suggesting that hydroxychloroquine is effective for treating or preventing coronavirus infection. He said, but there is evidence of serious side effects. Last Thursday, a panel of experts on Donald Trump's National Institutes of Health revised their recommendations in order to specifically recommend against the drug's use in formal studies. The actions by the FDA and the NIH now send a clear signal to health professionals against prescribing the drugs for coronavirus. Sorry, Donald Trump and Fox News. Trump had aggressively pushed the drug beginning in the first weeks of the outbreak and stunned medical professionals when he revealed that he took the drug preemptively against infection, or at least he claimed to. No large, rigorous studies have found the drug safe or effective for preventing or treating COVID, and a string of recent studies made clear that they could do more harm than good. The FDA granted emergency use of the drugs for coronavirus patients in late March after reportedly being pressured by non-doctor, non-epidemiologist Donald Trump. Millions of doses were shipped to U.S. hospitals, but the FDA had previously warned 
um, that it had seen reports of dangerous side effects and heart problems that were being reported to poison control centers and other health systems. The agency said on Monday that it revoked the authorization in the in uh, consultation with the U.S. Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, otherwise known as BARDA. Uh, they were the ones who requested the emergency use. But uh, BARDA's former director said in April that he was removed from his job because he resisted political pressure from Trump appointees to allow widespread use of the drugs. BARDA's then-chief, now-turned-whistleblower Rick Bright, uh, says that's why he was moved out of the job, because he objected to the broad use of the drug and has said that he worked with uh, FDA senior staff to limit the authorization by the FB, uh, FDA to only patients who were hospitalized with COVID-19 and done under profession, professional supervision at a time when uh, this was back when Trump was repeatedly telling Americans, quote, take it. What do you have to lose? He was saying this at the White House in the coronavirus uh, task force uh, briefings day after day. Yes, it was rather insane that he was saying, take it, take it. And now, of course, it has been removed. Of course, uh, what this all means is that there is still no approved treatment or cure or vaccine for the coronavirus. It is still spreading Like wildfire in many places across the country, it is still killing Americans at an alarming rate. And even though Trump's reelection chances are based in no small part on him pretending that the pandemic is somehow under control and that there are many uh, foolishly going along with the idea that it is, it is decidedly not under control. And I feel I have to mention that again today. I've got a lot to cover today, but I feel I have a responsibility, frankly, as someone with access to a microphone and the public airwaves to at least mention to at least mention all of this as frequently as possible to counter the dangerous disinformation that's being circulated in so many places right now. And while the disease is increasing at an alarming rate in more than 20 states, it is it is not only due to more testing, by the way, it's the percentage of tests that are coming back positive that is increasing in many places. And the rate of hospitalizations are also on the rise in the bargain. For example, as Newsweek reported on Sunday, hospitalizations for the novel coronavirus reached a new high In Texas on Saturday, hospitalizations. This after the state set and surpassed record patient admission numbers throughout last week. The latest data published by the Texas Department of State Health Services confirmed 2,242 people were hospitalized with the uh, respiratory illness on Saturday afternoon alone. More than 2,200 people. That's an increase from more than 2,100 people hospitalized on Friday. Friday's virus hospitalization figure was Texas's highest to date when it was first reported by the state, surpassing previous administration records reported consecutively last Monday and then Tuesday and then again on Wednesday. Texas hospitals saw consistent increases in daily patient admissions related to the virus after Memorial Day. Statewide hospitalizations have increased by close to 50 percent since Memorial Day. 50 percent. 
since Texans blew the doors open for Memorial Day gatherings across the state. According to Johns Hopkins University, uh, the state confirmed 80, uh, 87,000 diagnoses since the start of the pandemic. And as of Sunday morning, uh, in addition to 1,971 deaths, Texas's overall case count is now the nation's sixth highest. Uh, last week's spike in new cases and hospitalizations across the state came as businesses entered phase three of Governor Greg Abbott's economic reopening plan. After terminating the state's stay-at-home order at the end of April, Abbott first launched the reopening plan in early May, allowing restaurants and bars and retailers and most other establishments to resume services over the course of the month. Phase 3 became effective on June 3, expanding occupancy limits for businesses, and then additional restrictions were lifted on Friday, as the guidelines then permitted some restaurants to broaden capacity limits to 75%. That, as they are having record hospitalizations day after day after day. Uh, In response to the increasing case counts, Texas Judge Nelson Wolf issued a letter to Governor Abbott on Friday asking the governor to allow at least local jurisdictions to enforce face mask requirements. But Abbott told uh, News 4 San Antonio in response, he believes in government mandates. He's talking about uh, the Texas judge. I believe in individual responsibility. He said it's up to every individual in the state to make sure that we slow the spread of COVID-19. But I guess Governor Greg Abbott, who could uh, help assure that that happens, I guess he's not one of those individuals who it is up to to help uh, contain the spread of COVID-19. He's just telling everyone else, good luck with it. Please do your best. And while while an argument could be made that it is up to the people if they want to risk their own lives, the problem is that when they don't wear a mask and when they gather in restaurants, they're endangering the lives of everyone else, of those of us who do wear masks and don't go into restaurants. That is not individual responsibility. That's some individuals endangering the lives of all of the other individuals who apparently have no say in this at all. All of which is meant to underscore that nothing, nothing of note has changed since this disease first emerged back in March and April. It is still just as contagious, just as deadly, and the only thing that has changed is that Donald Trump and his Republican supporters are desperate for him to to win re-election, and they believe that by opening the country up for business, that is the best way that they can do that, no matter how many people may have to die because of it in the bargain. Oh, and late word today, it's not just Texas. That was just one example. Late word just before air today, it looks like a number of Florida bars are now re-closing. Imagine that. After new infections are being reported there across the state, including in Jacksonville, where some bars are now reclosing. Jacksonville, if that uh, name jumps out at you, that is where the Republicans have decided to move their national nominating convention uh, this year from Charlotte, North Carolina, which would not allow indoor meetings of thousands of shoulder to shoulder maskless people. I'm wondering if Jacksonville, Florida, uh, still will allow that come August anyway, when this convention is supposed to be held. They are reclosing their bars. 
Anyway, I hope to talk a lot more about this on tomorrow's broadcast uh, with an epidemiologist. But until then, uh, please proceed at your own risk. If you're willing to delude yourself that somehow we are past all of this, everything is fine, it is not. Nothing has changed. There's no cure. There's no treatment. There's no vaccine. And I know there's a lot of pressure out there to, you know, uh, pretend that this is over. I know a lot of people want to get out of the house, get back to the restaurants, get back to the clubs and the bars. I understand. But uh, you're doing so not only at your own risk, but uh, arguably at everyone else's as well. Uh, In some better news today. See, Des, I told you we'd get to some good news today. (laughs) At least there's a little bit. Uh, There's a a good bit. Well, actually, some very good news today uh, uh, that comes from a very unlikely source. That would be the stolen Republican majority on the U.S. Supreme Court. What? Yes, really. Some genuinely good news for those of us conservatives. Yes, conservatives who believe in personal freedom and liberty that does not harm anybody else. Freedoms and liberties that are in the uh, protection of uh, human rights and the Constitution and the rule of law as it is written. The Supreme Court ruled Monday that a landmark civil rights uh, law that protects um, uh, a civil rights law protects gay, lesbian and transgender people from discrimination in employment It's being regarded as a resounding victory from the court for LGBT rights from a very conservative court, as AP describes it, a victory that we can all savor today at a time when it's tough to find much of anything else to celebrate. The court decided by a 6-3 vote that a key provision of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, known as Title VII, that bars job discrimination because of sex, among other reasons, also encompasses bias against LGBT workers. An employee who fires an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of of a different sex. That was written by Justice Neil Gorsuch for the court. What? He said sex plays a necessary and undisguisable role in the decision, exactly what Title VII forbids. So what does he mean? Well, if I'm working somewhere and my boss finds out that I am dating another man, at least until today's ruling, I could be fired for that in dozens of states around the country. Had I been a woman dating that very same guy, I could not have been fired for that. So only because I am a man dating Bob, only because of that could I have been fired. That is discrimination on the basis of sex, which is forbidden by the 1964 Civil Rights Act, according to the ruling uh, written, the majority ruling written by Justice Neil Gorsuch today. Justices Sam Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, and Clarence Thomas, they all dissented because, of course, they did, because they only pretend to be conservative and only pretend to care about the written words of a law when it suits them, which means that both Justice Neil Gorsuch and Justice uh, Chief Justice John Roberts joined the court's dramatic uh, decision today. Uh, and uh, join the Democratic appointees in standing up for freedom and against discrimination in Monday's landmark ruling. 
The court tries to convince readers that it is merely enforcing the terms of the statute, but that is preposterous, Alito wrote in dissent. Even as understood today, the concept of discrimination because of sex is different from discrimination because of sexual orientation or gender identity, he tried to argue. Really, Sam? And you couldn't even get Gorsuch or Roberts to go along with that argument? Justice Kavanaugh wrote in a separate dissent that the court was rewriting the law to include gender identity and sexual orientation. Really, Brett? Then why am I allowed to be fired for dating Bob, but Pam gets to date the exact same guy without putting her job at risk? Why is that? Well, it's because she is a woman and I am a man. Period. End of story. That is discrimination on the basis of sex. At least a bipartisan majority of the stolen stolen Republican Supreme Court now thinks so. So there you go. Sorry, Brett. Sorry, Sam. Sorry, Clarence. The outcome is expected to have a big impact for the estimated 8 million LGBT workers across the country because most states do not protect them from workplace discrimination. There's an estimated 11.3 million LGBT people uh, in the U.S., according to a study at, uh, from UCLA Law School. So a majority of them faced this discrimination unlawfully for decades until today. The cases were the uh, court's first on LGBT rights since Justice Anthony Kennedy's retirement and uh, his replacement by Kavanaugh. Kennedy was a voice for gay rights and the author of the landmark ruling in 2015 that made same-sex marriage legal throughout the U.S. The Trump administration had changed course from the Obama administration, which had supported LGBT workers in their discrimination claims using Title VII. But, of course, Donald Trump had to reverse that. During the Obama years, the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission had changed its longstanding interpretation of civil rights law to include discrimination against LGBT people. And today's ruling by the Supreme Court proves that they were right to have done so. The uh, Supreme Court cases involved two gay men and a transgender woman who sued for employment discrimination after they lost their jobs once it was revealed that they were gay. The uh, ruling was a victory, uh, really across the board, for those of us who believe in the rights for all people, who, who believe in freedom, who believe in liberty, Uh, And yes, those of us who have a conservative reading of the law where it says you can't discriminate on the basis of sex. Uh, And in uh, just a tiny bit more good news here from the court today, uh, because we can use whatever we can find these days before I get to uh, a break and my guest coming up momentarily. The Supreme Court on Monday declined to take up new cases for the next term. That gun rights groups, you know, the groups who fight for the rights of guns instead of the rights of the American people, uh, that those groups had claimed were in violation of the uh, of Second Amendment rights. The court did not accept a batch of nearly a dozen cases that gun groups had hoped uh, that the court uh, fortified now with more conservative members. That's a nice way for AP to describe the stolen Republican majority. Um They were hoping these uh, gun rights groups that this uh, court would accept them. They have not. They have rejected those new cases. The court's most conservative members at various times have expressed frustration that their colleagues have routinely turned down requests 
to evaluate laws that impose tough restrictions for permits to carry guns outside the home and to ban certain types of weapons. But once again, uh, apparently they could not even get four votes on the court to hear these cases next term. Many of the cha- of the uh, challenges that were rejected had to do with state laws that restricted an asserted right to carry a gun outside the home. The uh, U.S. Court of Appeals, for example, for the Fourth Circuit, uh, they decided that while the Second Amendment might be interpreted as including a right to carry a gun outside of the home, the state of Maryland's system of review by law enforcement and by an appeals board, that that balanced the state's interest in public safety with the rights of gun owners. That's what the uh, appeals court uh, for the Fourth Circuit uh, found, and apparently that's what the U.S. Supreme Court um, seems to agree with today because they did not want to hear a challenge to that decision. So that ruling and about a dozen others like it for now um, will not be revisited by the Supreme Court next year. That's some uh, some good news there for those who believe in gun safety and that the Second Amendment was not meant to be a, a death warrant for tens of thousands of Americans each year. Um, hopefully we'll have more on uh, on this show on both of those decisions as well a little bit later in the week uh, as there is another decision day coming on Thursday am I right Des yes on Thursday there's a there's a couple more things coming down the pike so we'll see what happens so uh, and hopefully well we'll have I'm sure we'll have someone on to talk about it I don't want to give away any promises <laughs> just in case he can't make it Uh Mark Joseph Stern. But anyway, uh, uh, so we'll have those decisions on Thursday. So we got a lot to cover this week uh, as the court tries to make up for some uh, lost time during the coronavirus lockdowns. Uh, of course, if we had an electoral system that was accurate and transparent and overseeable by citizens and protected the rights of voters to vote, well, we likely even wouldn't have this stolen Supreme Court in the first place. So to that end, while you may have heard of the disaster that occurred at polling places across Georgia during last Tuesday's primary, we have been covering it damn near every day since then. Uh, You probably have not heard of the disaster that is now occurring in the computerized counting of the votes that were cast in Georgia. And it's quite disturbing. That story and the woman who discovered these uh, some huge counting errors. I don't know if we can even call them errors, but uh, counts that didn't happen on the computers that are supposed to count the votes that may have occurred across the entire state of Georgia. And it is uh, terrifying, frankly. And you may only be hearing it here on the broadcast. That's coming up next. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Georgia's Secretary of State is promising an investigation in today's catastrophic primary voting problems, which one charitable headline called a hot flaming mess. Late into the evening, voters in mostly minority counties had to wait on long lines for hours while poll workers had problems with new voting machines. In some places, they reportedly did not work 
at all. The voting fiasco in Georgia, those who are rightfully worried that this could be a perverse kind of preview of November. You can't count on me like one, two, three. I'll be there. I'll be there. And I know when I need it, I can Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yep, uh, Brian Williams there from MSNBC talking about what happened last Tuesday on Election Day at the polls in the primary in Georgia. Well, that ain't the half half of it. Um, So uh, let me start with, since we were on some good news, let me give you sort of the upside of any of this for the moment. Despite massive problems at the voting booth last Tuesday, the hours-long lines caused by poll closures and the widespread failures of the state of Georgia's brand-new, unverifiable, computerized touchscreen voting and a computerized electronic poll book system, which, by the way, is virtually identical to the Uh, was identical to the hours-long lines uh, to vote that were caused by closures and uh, poll closures and mass failures of brand-new, unverifiable computerized touchscreen voting and computerized poll systems here in L.A. County, Los Angeles County, before the pandemic on, on Super Tuesday, March 3rd, earlier this year. Well, despite that, despite those failures in Georgia all exacerbated by failure of the state to get requested absentee ballots to tens of thousands of voters, um, leading to huge lines, many of those uh, lines, most of which were in Democratic-heavy, African-American-heavy parts of the state for some crazy reason. Despite all of that, Democratic turnout in Georgia's primaries skyrocketed. With three times as many votes cast in the U.S. Senate primary as in 2016. So, hey, nice going voters. With 99% of the vote in as, as, in as of today, well over 1 million voters had cast ballots in the Democratic Senate primary race, said to have been won by John Ossoff. I say said to have been one. That's a caveat that may be important in a moment as my guest joins me. Over one million votes cast in that Democratic primary. That compared to only 310,000 votes that were cast in the Senate primary back in 2016. That is a huge jump. That's three times as many voters. Uh, Even with all of the impossible hurdles that they had to overcome, including the coronavirus, including the poll closures and the the vote system failures, that after their Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger sent absentee ballot applications to all active registered voters in the state. He gets to decide what active means, so who knows, but uh, he sent out a lot of uh, absentee ballots which is likely just one of the reasons that he didn't send out the ballots. He sent out the applications for the ballots. Uh, But that is just one of the reasons that Republicans are trying to prevent that, even that much, from happening this November. Turnout for Republicans appeared to be strong, but not as strong as... uh, Uh, As Democrats in the primary, well, that's explainable, of course, because there were no statewide contested races at all. David Perdue, who ran unopposed in the U.S. uh, Senate race uh, for the Republican nomination, he received over 950,000 votes with 100 100 percent reporting uh, in 2016. 
577,000 Republicans voted in that Senate primary that year. So the increase there on the Republican side was still pretty big, uh, a little bit less than two times what it was back in 2016, rather than three times as high as it was here for the Democrats. But Republicans uh, did not have a contested race to vote in. So we can't make too much uh, from the GOP turnout there. But it is interesting that while... 951,000 Republicans are said to have voted in the uncontested Senate primary. Donald Trump, who was also running unopposed in Georgia last week in the presidential primary, he is said to have received only 912,000 votes. That is less uh, than for an uncontested Republican senatorial race in a state which is believed to be a presidential battleground this year for the first time in decades. Hmm. Make of that what you will. Uh, Why would the Senate race uh, get more votes uh, on the Republican side than the presidential race on the Republican side? Well, it could be a political issue. It could be a sign that Republicans in Georgia are not all that crazy about Donald Trump. Could also mean that there was a problem with the vote system. Don't know. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Almost a million uh, voted in the largely uncontested Democratic presidential primary, which presumptive nominee Joe Biden is said to have won uh, very easily. Alan Abramowitz, a political science professor at Atlanta's Emory University, told NBC News that this was an extraordinary high, uh, extraordinarily high turnout for a primary He said it was way beyond what we have seen in previous primary elections, especially on the Democratic side, he said. Voting rights groups, nonetheless, have justifiably called Tuesday's primary a disaster with voters across the state, particularly in counties where the majority of residents are not white, uh, facing issues including long lines, problems with the voting machines, and a lack of available ballots, leading to the last vote being cast well after midnight in the wee hours of Wednesday last week. Yes, it was a disaster. Though it's one that we spent years warning about on this program, on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com in advance of that disaster, as opposed to the rest of the corporate media who waited until after the disaster to even mention it, to even report it like they were outraged about it. Right. Well, maybe had you reported about it in advance, it wouldn't have happened. We tried. We have been featuring computer scientists and election integrity advocates as guests for years, specifically on this show, specifically warning against the new, incredibly complex, unverifiable 110 million, 120 million. I don't know. It depends on which source you use. $120 million touchscreen voting system that the state's Republican secretary of state insisted every county in the state must use for the first time this year. That, after the state's previous unverifiable touchscreen voting system, was ruled unsecure and unconstitutional by a federal judge in a long-running lawsuit by the Coalition for Good Governance. That group is led by frequent broadcast guest Marilyn Mark. She joined us last week to discuss Tuesday's disaster as it was unfolding. That was on Wednesday that she joined us. But guess what? Uh, last week's disaster is still unfolding. And in ways that almost nobody has noticed or reported on widely yet. It's not just the unverifiable touchscreen ballot systems that cause problems. Apparently, the brand new computer optical scan tabulators used to tally hand-marked paper absentee ballots 
part of the entire hundred whatever million dollar system made by the private vendor Dominion Voting System. Those optical scan uh, scanners that are counting handmarked paper ballots, those are failing as well, as discovered late last week by my next guest, who also happens to be a plaintiff in a number of these suits filed against Georgia's terrible voting system. As the excellent Frank Bajak at AP reported on Saturday, faulty software or poorly calibrated vote tabulation scanners used to count mailed-in ballots in last week's chaotic Georgia primary may have prevented thousands of votes from being counted at all, according to election integrity activists and now election officials. The issue was identified in at least four counties as of Saturday. DeCab, Morgan, Clark, and Cherokee, according to officials who discovered them, including activists who have sued the state for alleged election mismanagement. But of course, because Georgia's Secretary of State literally forced all the counties in the state to use the same crappy new electronic tabulation systems, one, by the way, that Texas refused to certify, so even Texas wouldn't use this crappy system, uh, but because it's forced on every county in the state, this newly discovered problem could be present in all of Georgia's 159 counties. Rich DeMillo, a Georgia Tech computer scientist who testified for the plaintiffs in some of these cases and has also been a guest on this show several times, said the fact that it is in multiple counties tells me it's probably systematic. Because identical scanners and software were used to count all ballots across the state. A top Georgia voting official, the uh, implementation manager for this new system, Gabriel Sterling, said on Friday that he had seen no evidence yet of the issue, found it difficult to believe these reports uh, that, uh, that they were an active description of what is happening on the ground. He couldn't believe it. I bet he's saying something else today. Now that thousands of votes across the state may have been uncounted completely. Sterling said these are activists who have an axe to grind. In post-election reviews on Wednesday, quite literally, as we were on this show interviewing uh, uh, the Coalition for Good Governance's Marilyn Marks about the Election Day problems, while that was happening, election panels in the four counties that I just mentioned detected unregistered votes while examining these digital ballot images that had been flagged by the vote tallying scanners software due to anomalies. In Morgan County, a Republican-dominated county just southeast of Atlanta, panelists discovered at least 20 votes on scanned ballot images that the program had not recorded at all. That, according to Gene Dufort, the lone Democrat on this three-person panel reviewing votes, that the software had decided to be either overvotes or undervotes. But then there were all of these other votes, apparently, that weren't counted at all and weren't counted as overvotes, weren't uh, marked as undervotes. They just weren't counted. So apparently, the computers just s skipped these uh, other races that were not flagged for review, as I understand this adjudication software is supposed to show to the judges. Marilyn Marks is quoted uh, by AP as uh, saying, uh, well, noting that, quote, the detection of this major problem was only because of diligent citizen oversight. The officials charged with the duty to fully test the equipment 
recklessly failed to responsibly do so or to audit it, she said. Joining us now is the woman who discovered these untallied votes initially in Morgan County. Jean Dufort is an election integrity activist and has been a plaintiff with the coalition in several lawsuits that have changed voting procedures in Georgia. During the battle over uh, Georgia's new voting system bill, Jean developed the first cost analysis showing that hand-marked paper ballots would be significantly cheaper to purchase and operate than the equipment-intensive touchscreen ballot marking device systems ultimately chosen by the Republican Secretary of State. A retired senior executive from the home furnishings industry, Jean has significant expertise in cost analysis and supply chain management and is now first vice chair of the Morgan County Georgia Democratic Party and the one who noted that untold numbers of votes may not have been counted at all in the state of Georgia. Jean Dufort, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, Jean? Nope. Do we have you here? I have to learn how to use a phone. <laughs> Jean? Okay, we, lo- we lost her. Call her back. My fault. See, this is what happens when you rely on computers for mission-critical things. We'll get her back in a second. Uh, it, it wasn't just that one county, by the way. Uh, apparently in Clark County, 30 of the 300 flagged ballots had votes that the system had not marked you know, as dubious, as questionable, had not marked them, had not processed them, had not counted them. They were just sitting there and they were discovered by folks like Jean Dufort, uh, who are trying to get back on the phone here. Of course, we got her. All right. There we go. Let's try that again. Jean Dufort, we got you now. Welcome back. to Welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me. No problem. I accidentally, I think, hung up on you because, you know, you really shouldn't rely on computers to do mission-critical things. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been uh, trying to report this out a bit over the weekend, Gene, and it seems like just an unbelievable mess uh, in that it seems to me we may have no idea what the real results are from last Tuesday's elections unless all ballots are actually examined by hand. Uh, you know, by human eyeballs, at least. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, what were you and the other two um, Republicans on the adjudication panel? Uh, what were you doing when you discovered that the system was apparently not counting a whole bunch of votes at all? Walk me quickly through your uh, process of discovery here, if you could. Sure. And and to be fair, the panel was our election director, mm-hmm. who is officially nonpartisan mm-hmm. and one Republican. Gotcha. Enemy. So okay. I, I don't want to miscast Jennifer. Gotcha. Um, we were doing the normal job that vote review panels were doing all across the state, which is looking at ballots that were non-standard in some way. They mm-hmm. might have had two votes chosen in one contest called an overvote. They might have had marks that looked funny that the computer couldn't interpret. So, you know, the computer queued up what it thought were all the exceptions. And mm-hmm. we were busily figuring out, you know, what was correct, because that's the job of a vote review panel, to adjudicate things. So just so I, says, so, so I understand, yeah. uh, Gene, so the software itself says, hey, we can't determine if yep. there is a vote here, if it's an overvote, if there no, they chose that's not correct. to vote at all, maybe because they put a check or an X instead of an o- filling in the oval. So please look at these ballots and decide if there is a, a, a vote for somebody there. And you guys right. look and, at those and, and decide. And, yep. Yep. And it's and it's a super helpful, very nice tool. Okay. As long as it works right. Right. You know? Trust but verify. Right. So 
were swimming along, and basically, if I can describe what we saw, the votes that the computer decided were were were, were cast lit up in green. Right. The votes that it wanted us to ask have questions about were boxed in red, mm-hmm. and the rest of the screen looked like a ballot. It was white mm-hmm. with 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 and shouldn't have been any votes in it. Right. Okay. Those are the undervotes. You don't have to vote in every race. Voters often don't r- vote in races that mm-hmm. they're not sure about. Right. Um, but there shouldn't be any voter marks in those spots. Right. So lo and behold, all of a sudden we come, a big white spot, big check marks in it, kind of look at one another and say, hey, that looks like somebody voted. What did the computer say about that? And when we checked the audit trail, the computer said, unvoted. Oh. But we're looking at marks, a voter mark, and, clear and- voter mark, no confusion that it was a vote. And so, had you not had had these ballots not had other votes on them that were flagged by the computer as problematic in some fashion, uh, had had you not just happened to be looking at those particular ballots, you wouldn't have noticed these other votes that were definitely votes that had gone uncounted by the software. Is that correct? It, it, exactly right, and that's why we're calling on counties all across the state before they certify to do a, a human eyeball review to see what other ballots are out there or votes are out there mm-hmm. that are embedded in ballots that have just plain not been counted and should have been counted. Because you were only looking at a, a subset of the ballots that were cast, right? Those that the computer okay. determined to have to be problematic. This could be a problem across every ballot cast in not only your county, but in the other hundred and what is it, 59 counties across the, the state? Sure. Because they all use the same yep. software. That's right. And, and to be fair, the, the software worked really well for an awful lot of votes. Uh-huh. There were lots of votes recognized and counted, including with all kinds of non-standard voter marks. You know, you're supposed to fill in the oval, but some voters check, some voters do X's. Yeah. We're humans. We have variability. And a lot of those votes were counted routinely, just some of them. We're not. Well, that's the problem. Well, yeah, and it's and and to say, well, the, it, it worked well on some votes, that doesn't speak very well of it. In that it's supposed to count all of the votes. I noticed that's that right. uh, all three uh, uh, panelists uh, who were on this adjudication panel that you were sitting on and noticed these uncounted votes, uh, all three of you guys apparently uh, agreed to add those unregistered votes that you happened to come across while you were reviewing those uh, problematic ballots. But uh, on Thursday, the day after the discovery, the county elections board voted apparently three to two to not audit the rest of the 3,000 absentee ballots that were cast in the county. How can that possibly be, given what you guys discovered, and have they... uh, have they changed their mind about that? Uh, they have not changed their mind. It was a, a huge disappointment. Um, head in the sand is not a good strategy when a problem materializes. Um, I, I, yeah, and, and that's what they appear to be doing. I had started to mention in Clark County, for example, 30 of the 300 flagged ballots, flagged with an, a problem initially by the computer, 30 of those 300 had votes uh, that had not been uh, either uh, that had not been processed or marked as questionable. So, you know, while you hear that and you go, oh, it's only 30 ballots, it's actually 10 percent of the ballots that were flagged uh, for other reasons by the system. We could be talking about hundreds or thousands of votes across the state. Am I right, Jean? Absolutely. And, and Georgia law is so clear on this. 
it says, you know, notwithstanding anything we've described in all the particulars, the duty of an election board, it says they shall count any vote where the voter's intent can be determined. Period. End of report. That's the legal standard in Georgia. There's no exception for scanner sensitivity or a brand new software that hasn't been checked. Mm -hmm. There's no exception. So once a board is notified that they have that uncounted votes have been discovered in 5% of the ballots, Mm -hmm. it's uh, really not understandable why they wouldn't say, hey, we should look at the others. There may be more. What what is the state saying? And I realize, um, speaking of uh, Jean Dufort, she discovered this problem. Uh, one of uh, several adjudication panels across the state who discovered this as they were checking these ballots. Um, what is the state now saying about it? And does the state have the power, I guess, the legal power to order counties to do a hand review of all of the ballots that were cast uh, in last Tuesday's primary? We would love it if the state would do that. But so far, the state has not shown an interest in investigating it. It's shown an interest in denying there's a problem. Clark County pan- uh, panelist Adam Shirley is a, a Democrat. Uh, he recommended a review of all 15,000 ba- absentee ballots in the county. Are some counties able to do a full county uh, review by hand of every ballot if they choose to, if the uh, Board of Elections in the county uh, votes to do so? Yeah, every county can do this, and it's easy. It's, it, 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 it's a continuation of the count. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no special legal authority that's needed to count votes. In fact, it's it's the duty of the election board to make sure all votes are counted. You know, I would think that Republic. Well, uh, uh, John Ossoff uh, apparently won his, um, uh, his his primary uh, Democratic primary to become the uh, Democratic U.S. Senate nominee by winning just more than 50 percent of the vote last Tuesday, reportedly. Had he not gone over 50 percent, uh, there would have been a runoff then, I think, down in, uh, in, in July, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it seems to me that the other candidates in that race and in other close races around the county would have, uh, you know, every legal justification at this point to sue to force the counting, uh, the hand counting of all of the ballots in the state? Well, I'm certainly not an attorney, but here's the thing. If the law says you shall count all votes and it's a known defect that in a small sample that all votes are not being counted and there's an easy solution Mm -hmm. to go and determine the rest, the failure to do that would seem to me to be actionable at any size race, let alone a statewide race. Right. Yeah. Um, but by the way, there are also in the main counties still quite uh, tens of thousands of absentee ballots that have simply not been processed yet. So the by no means do we have the full count in yet in Georgia. So they haven't been processed by the original crappy system that might not right. count them in the That's first right. place. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty time-intensive <laughs> wow. process. Uh, and Georgia has never had this many yeah. absentee ballots right. in the process. So the counties are just digging in, doing an amazing job from a workforce management standpoint. But mm-hmm. it's it's time intensive. Right. And they're relying on uh, computers. And this is uh, sort of an irony here, it seems to me, Gene. They're, they're, they're using a computer system 
to tell them, to tell you, to tell officials where the computer system may not have tallied a vote accurately, where it couldn't read it uh, or something. Am I crazy or shouldn't that be the isn't that sort of a concern itself here that we are asking the computer to tell us which votes the computer had trouble counting? You know, not inherently. This is not fundamentally a wrong approach. Computers are awfully good at counting complex things, mm-hmm. much better than humans, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but you test things for a reason, right? right? And, and the folks who know about these things, you know, tell us that what we've experienced, what we've seen with our own eyes, is, is likely a bug, Right. Bugs can happen. A big first-time statewide rollout, you can have a bug. Nobody's Mm -hmm. complaining that there's a bug. But you've got to be interested enough to go and find it and fix it. We've got a big consequential race coming up in Georgia in November, mm-hmm. and and you, you you better learn from this experience and fix it before that. Yeah, and I, I'm you know still worried about those people who risked their lives to vote uh, last week in this election, and you know I want to make sure that all of those votes are counted. Uh, Marilyn Marks. Uh, at the Coalition for Good Governance in a press release noted that there is no investigation initiated by officials to determine the full scope or impact of the problem. Her group is uh, calling for a thorough, transparent investigation and correction of the vote count, they say, must be uh, immediately undertaken and completed prior to certification of the election results. When, uh, uh, Jean Dufort, when do the, uh, the results from Georgia have to be certified by the state? And would there even be time to do a hand review of all of the ballots to make sure that all of the votes were counted before certification? First of all, there's absolutely time if they get on with it. The deadline is Friday to certify. Mm-hmm. So two things can happen by uh, judicial order or action of the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State just extended the, the deadline to cure signatures. He can also extend the deadline to certify. Um, and, and the review process will take some time, but not an insane amount of time. You can actually use the tool that we use to find it to help you find the others. Yeah, but you got to look at them all, and, and, and that's going to take some time. And, uh, of course, it underscores uh, these systems are used in some other states as well. It makes you wonder where other uh, problems just like this are happening. Uh, Gene DeFort, I've been running late all day, but I cannot thank you enough for joining us uh, and for uh, your effort, your discovery there, for being a plaintiff, along with uh, those cases filed by coalitionforgoodgovernance.org and for helping us understand this problem. I hope you don't mind if we bother you to join us again concerning problems in Georgia. Not that there will be any. I guarantee we'll be talking again. Uh, I, I, I'm afraid so. Uh, Jean Dufort, thank you so much. Uh, folks can follow her on the Twitters also at Dufort underscore Jean. Running really late. Quick break. And we're back with our last uh, minute or two on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
survive right somehow or another we will survive welcome back to the broadcast brad friedman from bradblog.com this is madness and that is just that story we were just talking about with gene dufort that is just now developing over the last couple of days it's being completely underreported in the national media i think there are huge consequences behind it um, and I don't know if any of this can get fixed before November in Georgia, much less all the rest of the other states. Uh, Desi, uh, you say there's a caller who couldn't hold but is asking me what? <laughs> what does he want to know? He basically wanted to know if the L.A. County Registrar Dean Logan uh, still has his job after a very similar meltdown occurred here in California in Los Angeles County during the March primary. Of course he does. With the same kind of machine. Right. Of course he does. The same. In that case, it was the problem with the touchscreen. Of course he has his job. Election officials only fail up. Don't forget that. (laughs) Dean Logan is here in L.A. after a disastrous election that he ran in Washington state. So they gave him a better job here in uh, in L.A. County with the an even larger state. Uh, let me take one call here before I got to get out. Uh, and we will continue to cover this Georgia story because it's just developing. We don't know why it's happening. We don't know why the computer is not counting votes on paper ballots. So we, I promise you, we will continue to cover this. Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, you got a quick thought for me? Yeah, just to report that by the very generous and kindly standards of TrumpDeathClock.com, this morning Donald Trump's toll of American deaths, needless deaths, uh, owing to his misfeasance, malfeasance in general, screwing off the job of presidency, achieved more than 25% the number of Americans killed by Adolf Hitler. But Hitler took four years to do it, and Donald Trump has done it in five months, <laughs> which I think is top in German efficiency. Well, yeah. So it, it just... It justifies, I think, my model for 2020, which is Republicans spread disease. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Well, Trump said we are the greatest. So apparently we're even greatest when it comes to killing Americans. Well done, Donald Trump. Well done, Mike. Thanks uh, to everyone. Thanks to my guest, Gene Dufort, uh, the uh, plaintiff and election integrity advocate with Coalition for Good Governance.org, a group that I can't recommend enough. Uh, you help support. They are doing so much important work. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to Kiana Williams, our soundboard operator, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the TheBradBlog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.